Hi, Josh Sorrell here from Sandhill FWB Church in Sandusky, Ohio. The podcast that you're about to enjoy was given live before our congregation here at Sandhill, and we pray that this podcast will encourage and challenge your walk with Christ. For more sermons like this, as well as additional Christian content, visit our website at www.sandhillfwb.com or check out our social media pages on YouTube and Facebook, keyword Sandhill FWB Church. May God continue to richly bless your journey every step of the way. And so I want you to look at chapter 3, and I want us to look at verses 9 and 10. And I want to say thank you all while you turn there and look at it. Thank you for every bit of hospitality that you have shown to me and my wife this week, uh, for the kindness, uh, the accommodations, uh, the basket, uh, all these calories I've got to go home and work off. And uh, all the good things that you've blessed us with, I am so thrilled. And to be here on a Friday night after a long week of work and school and all the activities and demands of life and responsibilities, and yet it's a full house tonight. That gives God glory. Amen. Amen. And I thank you for that. And for everybody that's watched, I've understood we've got people watching us far down in Florida and places in between. And I'm so glad that we do tonight. Two verses I want to read to you, verses 9 and 10. And I'll preach and I'll get out of your way, okay? Verses 9 and 10. And I've got some other people that I've asked specifically to pray for this service tonight. And I I hope that you'll mind the Lord, okay? Peter writes... The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. And that's where I want to stop reading tonight. Now, in this letter that Peter writes, 1 Peter, 2 Peter are letters, okay? These are letters like you would sit down and write a letter and put it in your mailbox. Now, there were chapter and verse divisions we have in the Bible now, but they weren't there, of course, when these letters were written. So I want you to take this as a letter that somebody is writing. Peter is writing a letter to churches, to church people, okay, to Christians. And so understand the context of what Peter is writing here. Because in this letter, Peter is dealing with very specific things that he is facing that he has to deal with as God's apostle. Peter is dealing decisively with things like sexual uh, 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 licentiousness. He's dealing with the topic of the love of money. He's dealing also with the rejection of the authority of Jesus Christ. And he is very blunt in this letter, by the way. He bluntly warns the churches that if they are enticed out of the way of righteousness, if they abandon their obedience to Christ, it's going to be worse for them in the final judgment than if they had never known the way of the Lord. 
He also reminds them that God has given his people great and precious promises. That's what we have looked at all week is to press on in the promises and these are the great and precious promises that God has given us. And what Peter says in this letter is that these great and precious promises will empower us to resist temptation when it comes our way and also will empower us to remain on the path of righteousness. And so the Apostle Peter connects the hope which the promises inspire with the power for godliness that this hope brings us. Look in verse 11 of what I didn't read tonight, but he says, since you know the Lord is going to come as a thief in the night, since you know that he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, since you know that he's not slack concerning his promises, and since you know that the heavens are going to pass away with a great noise, and since you know the elements are going to melt away with a fervent heat, and since you know that the earth and the works are going to be burned up, he said, what manner of persons ought ye to be in holy conversation and godliness? Can I tell you that the hope of Jesus Christ's return empowers us in righteousness. But now, if the promise of a new world and of the joy and the righteousness that Jesus brings is going to fill us with hope and power and godliness... I'm going to say something that ought to make real easy sense to us. We've really got to believe it's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we really got to believe it's going to happen. Amen. You say, what, preacher? We really got to believe that Jesus is coming back. <laughs> well, that, that can't just be a cliche. That can't just be a Christian thing to say. But we really have to believe Jesus is coming back. And you say, well, preacher, what church doesn't believe that Jesus is coming back? I mean, what people don't believe? I mean, if we're Christians, certainly we believe that Jesus... But see, that's what Peter was dealing with in this letter. Because what the Bible teaches us is that Peter was writing to churches that had been infiltrated by false teachers. And these false teachers did not believe that the return of Jesus Christ was going to happen. And so Peter is citing their criticism, why they don't believe it's going to happen. And he says that they, 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 have, uh, uh, they have been saying that, that Jesus has delayed his coming so long uh, that surely we can't believe it's real really going to happen. And so they, they, they reject the bodily coming of Jesus Christ. And so when you reject the thought that Jesus is going to come back, then you can discard the reality of judgment. And when you discard the reality of judgment, then it opens the door for all kinds of living that you or your flesh would want to do, which would include the love of money, which would include sexual immorality, which would include all these things because, hey, Jesus is not coming, so therefore I'm never going to have to face an account for what I am doing. Uh, you understand where Peter's going with this? But friends, can I tell you that we're not to lose heart tonight and we're not to grow weary because Christ is coming. Now, see the time frame. You say, well, preacher, he left here 2,000 years ago. The time frame between his ascension to heaven and his return, which we don't know when that's going to be, but the time frame between that is meant to lead us to repentance, not to unbelief. 
See, from God's experience of time, it has not been very long. The Bible says earlier in the chapter, you go back, and the Bible says with God, a day is as a thousand years. A thousand years is as a day. And so what does that tell us, preacher? Well, that tells us that, that, that from God's experience of time, it's not very long. I think those of you that are older will understand what I'm about to say right here when I use this analogy. How many of us will say things like, it only seems like yesterday when the kids were little? Y'all remember when the kids was just little? I mean, the day that you took them home from the hospital, the time they were two-year-old, and when they were trying to pedal around on that tricycle and all that, you say, man, I remember it's just like yesterday when those kids were little. But then, friends, for those of you that are younger, I think I can use an analogy that would help us out tonight. Because how many of you would say that, preacher, it feels like class just drags on? <laughs> I mean, it's like that bell's never going to ring. But when you go out for recess or you go on some kind of family vacation or something, when it's all said and done, you say, man, that felt like it just flew by. We just went yesterday and it's done. But yet you go into a class and you hear that teacher just yammering, yammering, you know, you hear these preachers up here and all these things. You say, man, alive, is this guy ever going to stop? You know, same amount of time though. You understand what I'm saying? Same amount of time. And so when Jesus comes back to Jesus, it's going to be like he was just here. And see, Christ's return may appear delayed to us because God's perspective on time is radically different from ours. So friends, what does that show us? I mean, knowing that, what should be our takeaway from this passage of Scripture? Well, Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, said that we should understand that God can make a single day as useful in his purpose as it would take a thousand years for us to produce. Think about that. God can take one day and make it for his purpose what you and I would take a thousand years to try to produce. You think, what does that mean, preacher? Well, see, when God sends revival, you can see a lot of people converted in a short amount of time, whereas under normal conditions, it may take months or may even take years. And the day that God converted the apostle Paul, remember that, on the road to Damascus? It was a day just like any other. We don't read that there was something special going on the day that Paul got converted, Brother Bo, but yet the Bible teaches us that that one day has resulted in nearly 2,000 years of influence through Paul's ministry and the writings that Paul has given us. One day, one moment in time has resulted in 2,000 years of impact. Who else could do that but God? Solomon says in Ecclesiastes that when we're buried after a time, we're forgotten. And how many of you could go to the cemetery? There's one right above this church up here and could go up there and, and know anybody in that cemetery. Because after a while, you are forgotten. But yet God can take one single moment in time and make it so impactful that thousands of years later, lives are still being changed. Yeah. 
And so think about this tonight. You and I, we're here and we proclaim the good news. What's the good news, church? The good news that God wants to save you and I from judgment. He does not want to condemn you. He does not, he does not want to uh, uh, send you to hell like some people say. He went to great sacrifice in order to provide salvation for you and I. He sent his own son to down a cross to pay the penalty for our sin and for all who will repent and believe. And so tonight we plead with people to turn from their sin and to trust Christ, assuring them of God's genuine concern and compassion for them. But we also have to warn them on the other side that God's patience does not last forever. God is a patient God. The Bible says he is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. Aren't you glad tonight God waited on you? But God's patience is not eternal because individuals may die at any time and they may face his judgment. And tonight Jesus Christ could return. And when he does, it's going to be too late for people to repent. Oh, friend, tonight we're down to the final services of this week. And though we've witnessed God work great miracles, what I know is time is running short. Because see, like Brother Gary said, some of you have been here all week. But I bet there's probably some that's been here all week and still have not moved in obedience to God. For others, this might be your first night. You've not been here any this week. But I want you to understand something. God has brought all of us here this evening because he does not want this meeting to end without you and I experiencing the great and the precious promises ourselves. And so one more time, I want us to examine the word of God. Amen. How many of you love the word of God? I want us to examine the word of God and I want to preach on this topic. I want to preach on the promise keeper tonight. I want to preach on the promise keeper. What's our takeaway from this, from these two verses that God is not slack concerning his promise. He's long suffered. He didn't want anybody to perish. He wants people to come to repentance because the Lord is going to come as a thief in the night. The heavens are going to pass away at the great noise. The elements are going to melt with a fervent heat and the earth and all the works are going to be burned up. What's the takeaway from all that preacher? What, what should we take from that promise right there? Number one, we take away the promise that God's timing is impeccable. God's timing is impeccable. The Bible said in verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness. The word slack in the Greek means to delay, to be slow. It literally means to loiter. How many of you putting signs on your church? There are signs on the, on the telephone poles in our church parking lot that says no loitering. We don't want people just loitering around and throwing the trash down and hanging out, all those kind of things. And listen, can I tell you something? That is not who God is. God is not slow. God is not delayed. God doesn't just loiter around. You ever been around somebody, you're always trying to hurry them up? Come on, look, we got to go. I'm ready and you're still beating around. Come on, let's go. We got to move. We got to move. Come on, we're going to be late. Listen, that is not God. That's not God. And friend, listen, the Bible says God is not slack. Some of us need to be more like God. We're not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness. See, friend, listen, God is impeccable in his timing. 
You say, what are you talking about, preacher? The Bible tells us all the way back in Isaiah chapter 46. He says, hearken unto me, ye stout-hearted that are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness. It shall not be far off, and my salvation shall not tarry, and I will place salvation in Zion for Israel my glory. So God, through the prophet Isaiah, almost 2,800 years ago, tells us that God is going to place his salvation in Zion for his glory. And then the Bible says in Galatians that the fullness of time finally came. And when it did, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And so because Jesus has came and he now has offered you and I the promise of salvation, God then asked in Jeremiah 31, he says, how long wilt thou go about, O backsliding daughter? For the Lord hath created a new thing. A woman shall compass a man. And the Bible says, For he has said, I have heard thee in a time accepted. And in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You say, what does that mean, preacher? That means that God has sent Jesus Christ. And why have you waited so long to receive him? And tonight, that's the question that you ask. If God 2,800 years ago told us that he's going to put in Jerusalem his son, and then through a virgin he would birth his son, and his son would bring salvation, and he says if he has bring salvation, you need to understand that now is the time to be saved. He said, why have you put it off? And you say, well, preacher, and the reason that we're so imperative about that, friend, is because, verse number 10, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. You don't know how much longer you've got, friend. You don't know how much longer you've got. You don't know. My daughter goes to school down at Welch College, as you know, down there right outside of Nashville. And she was speaking at chapel on Friday with a couple of her other students. They had went to Spain back in March for a mission trip. Two weeks they went to Spain to minister with the churches over there and to provide help. She, they, they went on their spring break and took the next week after that and, and through the Free Will Baptist International Missions, it's called the College Missions Program, they were able to go to Spain. And when they came back, the, the president, Matt Pinson, wanted them to speak at a chapel, and so they scheduled on this past Friday to speak at a chapel. And while Heather is speaking at the chapel, the, one, of, one of the uh, uh, Welch staff comes in and, 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 inter, and interrupts the chapel, so to speak, calls to them their attention because one of the professors has a 15 year old son who's, who's in sports, who's healthy who everything, I mean just an athletic kid and he has a seizure and he goes into cardiac arrest and he's 15 years old and they call the paramedics as you might think the EMTs and they take and they take the paddles and they zap him you know and they get him back and after a little while, pfft, he goes into cardiac arrest again before they can get him in the hospital. And they got to take the paddles again. Pfft, and they got to pop him again. And they rush him into the ICU. And, and you say, preacher, where are you going with that? The kid's 15 years old. You say, preacher, I got a long time left. I, I, this whole Jesus stuff, I've got time left to go. Look, I'm young. I, 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 uh, friend, you don't know how much time you've got. 
You don't know how much time you've got. You don't know if you have another moment. You don't know if you'll get out of this service alive, friend. You say, well, preacher, don't be trying to scare. If I could scare you into heaven, I would. <laughs> Listen, hell ought to be a scary place. <laughs> We, we've stopped preaching it because we don't want anybody to think about it anymore. We might make people mad. They might get uncomfortable. All that friend, I'm going to tell you something. Hell is real and hell's a scary place. But heaven is real and Jesus made it for you and I so we don't have to go there. Amen. And you say, preacher, you just scared about Listen, back in 2004, I guess it was, we had had a time, that little old church in Orlando, I don't know why God keeps bringing me back to that, but that little old church in Orlando that God had taken us to, man, God began to work in that church and people began to get saved and things began to happen and we ended up with a baptism one Sunday and we filled our baptistry up and we had 11 people to baptize one Sunday. Oh, we loved it. Man, it was great. And I had one of my deacons that would get in the water with me because we had some kids and they were little and we could baptize. We had some teenagers and then we had some adults and so I wanted a little help, you know. And, and so he got down in the water with me and I would baptize the little kids, but when they got bigger, you know, he'd step in. He'd help me baptize some of the bigger ones. We went through 11 of them that morning, Sunday morning. After we got done, we were going to have a dinner in a fellowship hall. The meal is laid out. The crock pots are there. I mean, the ham, the chicken, you know, all this good stuff, just like we've been eating on all week. We're going to have one of these Sunday dinners, and we're going to glutton ourselves, all right? You know how it goes. And so we baptized the last one. Brother Charles is standing right here. And I'm standing right here, and one of the ladies from the church comes up, and this is before the days of cell phone cameras, so she had a digital camera, and, and, or actually a film camera is what she had. She said, can I get a picture of you and Brother Charles in the baptistry? I said, absolutely. So I put my hand around Brother Charles, and he was in his early 80s, his woman deacons, and I said, Brother, look at the camera right there, and I've got a picture today that's so precious to me of me and Brother Charles with my arm around him, him just smiling and me smiling. His hair's as white and as silky as it can be, just a good-looking fella. And, and, and so when we get done taking that picture, he goes out this side, I go out this side, I go and change my clothes, I get my wet clothes off and everything, and I'm getting things ready, and I come down the sidewalk, and I'm going to take my clothes, Brother Gary, to the car, and I'm going to come back in, and I'm going to eat that fellowship dinner, and all of a sudden I get to the front porch, and there's a commotion going on at the front porch. I don't know what's going on. I turn around, and I look over this way, and there's Brother Charles. He's laid flat uh, on the porch and I've got my guys down on top of him and they're giving him CPR and CPR and CPR and brother Charles died before my eyes right there on that porch on that Sunday after we had just baptized 11 people. Friend let me tell you something when I say you don't know if you'll make it out of this service I'm here to tell you you don't know you'll make it out of this place. <sighs> And friend, God tells us he brought you and I here tonight because he's given us another opportunity because his timing is impeccable. He could have let you be somewhere else. He could have let you go somewhere else. He could have let you do whatever you want to do. But he brought you here tonight to put you under the sound of the gospel, to tell you he loves you, to tell you that he sent Jesus, to tell you that he died for you, to tell you that he rose again, and to tell you his grace will wash and clean you from all of your sin. Yeah. that's what he's done for you tonight friend why did he do that for you why did he do that for me as wretched and as ornery as I am and as messed up as I am and all the mistakes I've made why did he do that for us because he loves us he loves us tonight oh can I tell you something God has 
impeccable timing. Not only does this promise show that God's timing is impeccable, but this promise also shows us that God's grace is inexhaustible. God's grace is inexhaustible. Look with me again in verse number 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us. Brother Neil, aren't you glad that His grace is still coming? His grace is still being poured out. His grace is still being offered. Oh, friend, I want you to know I didn't get saved the first time God offered me grace. I didn't open my heart to Him and receive Him the moment... He came back and he knocked again and he came back and he knocked again and he knocked again and again and he kept offering me grace. And listen, one day I came to Jesus Christ and I accepted his offer of grace. And listen, I've been saved for a long time now, but I still make mistakes. I still mess up. I still do wrong things, but God's grace is still there. It's still being offered. It still forgives. I'm thankful it is inexhaustible. Listen, the Bible said the Word was made flesh, John chapter 1, and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. He said, full, not halfway. Y'all remember that old coffee commercial, Brother Neil, years ago? Fill it to the rim with brim. Remember that? Yeah. Listen, I'm telling you, God has filled him to the rim. Amen. You say, how much grace would Jesus give me? How much you need, friend? How much you need tonight? Brother Josh sang of an amazing grace. Listen, you know who needs an amazing grace? An amazing sinner. Amen. Listen, that's, that's who needs an amazing grace. You know who needs mercy tonight? The one who failed. Well, praise God, I'm glad tonight he has mercy because I've already taken care of the failure part. But aren't you glad tonight he takes care of the mercy? Yeah. And he said that he is full of grace and truth. And John bare witness of him, saying, This was he. This is John the Baptist saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that come after me is preferred before me, for he was before me, and of his fullness have we received grace for grace. Now let's break that down just a second. Fullness. You know what that literally means? When you take it all the way to its Greek, it means not an abundance. Remember I talked to you about God's word is a superlative word. God always adds superlatives. It's not that God loved the world, but it's God so loved the world. So this is not an abundance. When it says of his fullness we have received, it's not just an abundance. It literally means a super abundance. Over and above an abundance. And so he is saying tonight of his fullness we have received. In other words, he has flooded us with his grace. He has poured out. His grace came out. He filled him to the rim with brim but he's had to drink from his saucer because his cup overflowed. Well, praise his name. Oh, listen, friend, tonight, and John said, we have received 
received what came out of him. We have received what overflowed from him. Grace for grace. In other words, grace on top of grace, on top of grace. Grace and more grace and more grace and more grace. You say, what do you need grace for? You need it for sin. How many sins? All of them. And I keep doing it. But there's grace where sin abounds. Grace much more abounds. God's grace is inexhaustible. You say, what is grace, preacher? I know we give it all kinds of definitions, but you know what grace is? Grace is love in action toward people who merited the opposite of love. <laughs> yeah. Grace is love in action to those who have merited the opposite of love. Some of you here tonight ought to be thanking your wives they're still here right now because you have not merited their love. Amen. amen. Come on now. Amen. Come on. I thought you ladies would amen that already. Man. Men and wives ought to be thankful. Brother Bo, here we go. I, you've waited all week for this. Men and wives ought to be thankful for you because, listen, you have loved them even when they haven't merited it. Can I get an amen? Amen. Oh, you bunch of cowards tonight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Brother Bo, I gave you every chance I could, brother. That's all I got. All right. But listen, the Bible says, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh, friend, tonight you may be white, you may be black, you may be Hispanic, you may have a mixed ethnicity, you may have come from a foreign land, you may have come from a poor family, a rich family, you may be tall, you may be short, you may be thin, you may be big, whatever the case may be, might be, it doesn't matter. God has grace enough for all of us. God's grace is inexhaustible tonight. And the Bible says, oh, don't you remember? Well, praise his name. Don't you remember when, um, when uh, Elijah got sent down to the widow woman's house? First Kings. And he goes down to the widow woman's house and he says, hey, fix me something to eat. And she said, man, listen, I got one little old bit of meal left in this cruise. And I'm going to go inside and I'm going to fix a little oatmeal for me and my boy. And we're going to be done after that because we got nothing left in the kitchen. So we're going to eat our last meal and then we're going to starve. And Elijah said, look, go in there and make that for me first. Now that's bold, ain't it? And while she's making that, Elijah said, hey, Go out, send your boys out, go out, borrow as many vessels as you can borrow. Don't just come back borrowing a few, but you go out there and you knock every door in the neighborhood till you get as many vessels as they've got. And they went out and they got as many vessels and they came back and they said, we got them all, there is no more left to get. And he said, good. He said, now take that little bit of oil you got and you begin to pour in those vessels. And the Bible said that little bit of oil in them cruises filled every one of those vessels. 
And the prophet said, don't you have any more? <laughs> and they said, nope, that's all we got. Bible says at that point the oil stopped. But they said they took all those vessels that the oil filled up and they went out and sold it and made money and had everything they needed for their future. You tell me God's grace is not sufficient, friend. Oh, listen tonight. If you trust in God, he's a great God. If you trust in God, he's a great God. If you trust in God, he's a glorious God tonight. He still can do exceeding and abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think. And I'm thankful tonight that he has grace that never runs out. And then lastly, what do we take away from this passage of God's promise? We learn that the Bible teaches us that God's timing is impeccable, that God's grace is inexhaustible, and God's love is immeasurable. God's love is immeasurable. You say, why, preacher, does he do all this for us? Why? You look at me, preacher, and why? Look at me. Why would God give me all this grace? Why would God care if I died? Why does it matter to God? And all these things. I mean, I, I've never, I, I, he's never much mattered to me. I've done my own thing. I've lived my own life. And I've done this and I've done that. And you mean to tell me that I matter to God? That's exactly what I'm telling you, friend. You say, why then, preacher? Why do I matter to God? Because the Bible says he is not willing that you should perish, <laughs> but that you would come to repentance. Why does he care whether you die or not? Because he loves you with an everlasting love. There's nothing you can do tonight to ever make him stop loving you. There's nothing that you can fail at that he's going to withdraw his love from you. There is nothing that will ever separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And God so loved you, friend, that he gave his only begotten son that all you've got to do is believe upon him and you will not perish but you will have everlasting life. Because, friend, God didn't come into this world to condemn you but God came into this world that through him you might have life well I can't serve a, I can't trust a God that would send anybody to hell no friend listen that's a lie of the devil because he didn't come in this world to condemn you but that you would have life through him 1 Timothy 2 and 4 the Bible says God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of of the truth. In Ezekiel chapter 18, I believe it is, God asked a question. And in that chapter, He says, Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die? Now think about that. Now listen, friends, some, that, that in some ways ought to shame us. It really ought to shame us. And I'm going to tell you why. Because we often talk about the return of Jesus Christ and we talk about how God's going to straighten everything out and God's going to do this and God's going to... And we say, oh man, them wicked ones and all them antichrist guys and all this. God's going to... He's going to finally take control. He's going to... That ought to break our hearts. It's like we're glad it's coming. Come on, look right up here now. Don't be looking down like you're sad, all right? I mean, we act like we're excited about that. 
I think if CNN would blow up, some of you would be excited. You'd have revival more than anything else. Come on now. Don't look at me that way. Yeah, absolutely. God says, do you think I have any pleasure when the wicked die? God's not like me. His thoughts are much different than mine. His ways are much higher than mine. Do you know God was not up in heaven rejoicing when they shot bin Laden? But man, I know a lot of people that was... And friend, listen, God is not happy when the wicked die. Because his love is immeasurable. It's immeasurable. The Bible said, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't die for good moral church people. He didn't die for King James toting, suit wearing, tie tying preachers. He didn't die for singers and piano players and, and rock stars and news. I mean, he didn't die for, for movie stars. He didn't die for all that. He died for the ungodly, Amen. which happened to include King James only suit-wearing, tie-tying preachers. And it happened to include piano players and singers. And it happened to include a bunch of free will Baptists in a pew. It happened to include all of us. For the Bible said, there is none righteous, no, not one. And God died for me, the ungodly. And it was in due time. See, his timing is impeccable. It was in due time when I was without strength. And Paul said, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. In other words, you know what? There, there, every now and then you'll find somebody that'll kind of stand at the back and say, I got you back. But that's only for people they really got a lot of confidence in. You might find somebody for a really good person that is standing in the fire with them. But Jesus says, God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for it. Not, not good people, not people that could have high confidence in, but while we were sinners, Amen. Christ died for for us, while we were ungodly, Christ died for us. While we were doing drugs and sleeping around and talking about people and all this other, that's when Christ died for us. And the Bible says, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory with all his holy angels with him and shall sit upon the throne of his glory, and shall be gathered all nations. He shall separate the one from another as a shepherd divideth the sheep from the goats. And he shall, shall set the sheep on the right hand, the goats on the left, and the king shall say of them on the right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. Oh, listen, there was a place in heaven ready for you before you ever got saved. 
God already wanted you to heaven before you ever came and offered you heaven. God already wanted you forgiven before grace even came on the scene. God already had a plan in place for your redemption before Jesus ever came in the womb of Mary. How? Why? Because God loves you. God loves you. Friend, I believe Jesus is coming back. I mean, just as sure as I'm standing here right now, I believe with all of my heart, Jesus is coming back in bodily form. And he will rule and reign. And there will be a judgment day where he will separate the sheep from the goats. And friend, everybody that's here tonight, he wants to look at you and say, come on in. Come on in. I have prepared this for you since before the foundation of the world. Before you even looked in my direction, before you had even heard the first word about me, before you had even had the first thought about your eternal soul, I had already made this place for you. We, 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 we take John 14 and we kind of mess it up. And I'm going to be done right here. But Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am you could be also. And we got some idea that Jesus has got a hammer and nails and he's working right now. I mean, I hear people say that. Boy, Jesus went to prepare a place for me and he's working. Oh, I wonder what that's called. Oh, I bet it's going to be great by the time I get. He's done. Amen. He's done. He is sitting at the right hand of his father. He's done. The works were finished on Calvary. He's done. Anybody getting this tonight? He's done. Which means your forgiveness has already been taken care of. <laughs> your sins have already been atoned for. The blood's already been shed for you. God, God, Jesus was hanging on the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Your forgiveness has already been extended. It's already been granted. It's already there. The blood has already been shed. Your redemption's already been paid for. The atonement's already been made. What do I need to do, preacher? Simply accept it. Amen. Accept it by faith. And one day you'll hear, come, come, come into this kingdom that was prepared for you before the foundation of the world. That's a promise keeper, friend. God brought you here one more time tonight. You might have been here all week, or maybe it's your first night. God brought you here tonight. Friend, I'm telling you, as serious as I know how to tell you, God brought you here tonight one more time for you to receive the grace that he's offering you. He loves you, friend. You say, I don't know, can God really love me? I want you to know, friend, he loves you. He loves you. Never does he ever look at you in your worst failures and look at you and say, I don't think I can love you anymore. He never does. He never looks at you and says, well, I'll love you, but I don't love you like I used to. 
All right? He never does that. And somebody else better looking don't come on the scene with more to offer and him look at it and say, well, I'm kind of torn between the two. God never does that. Listen, friend, God has a love for you that cannot be broken. Amen? God has a love for you that he's never going to have to write a divorce paper over. God has a love for you that's everlasting tonight. We pray that this message has stirred your soul as you continue on for Christ. If you've been blessed by this sermon, we encourage you to share this podcast with others that we may together embolden each other for the kingdom cause. To listen to Sandhill Sermons live, you can join us Sundays at 11 o'clock on Facebook and YouTube. You can also find additional content such as our Steadfast Studies podcast or the NOYC Godcast for Youth provided by Sandhill for spiritual growth of all ages. These can be found at sandhillfwb.com.